Oh, good evening. As you can tell, I'm not Nathaniel. Uh, so don't believe everything you see on the screen. Uh, but good evening. It's good to be here. It's good to see you. And uh, I was impressed by the Sunday school we had last week and even the Sunday school we had this week and the message this morning about the recurring theme of Thanksgiving. And so that's the reason why I kind of pulled out some stuff that I had. And I also, just to be honest with you, uh, when Nathaniel this morning mentioned I was going to uh, preach on Psalm 100, the Psalm 100 was just the basis for what I was going to be talking about. But I decided, all right, we'll go with it. And so half of the sermon is, is on Psalm 100, and the other half is on the New Testament view of Thanksgiving. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I just wanted to let you know that was uh, something that uh, I went home and rewrote the sermon for. So, so uh, I apologize in advance if, if uh, the, uh, some of the seams and, and buttresses aren't not quite to put together. You know, all, the, all, the, all the welding has not yet set right. Uh, so I'll just um, let you know that that's, that's uh, part of what happened. But in looking over, I don't know if you, if you experienced the same thing I did. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Uh, I've noticed that even in my own thought, but especially in our culture, um, the idea of Thanksgiving is not what you would have thought it would be from biblical standards of Thanksgiving or even from historical standards of Thanksgiving. When, for example, Washington first declared Thanksgiving, it was that the nation would call on God to thank him for giving the people a country. That was pretty much the first proclamation of Thanksgiving that any president had made. It was made by Washington. But he actually talked about, now they didn't talk about Jesus. Or two, two presidents, I think, historically has talked about Jesus in their proclamation of Thanksgiving. But he actually talked about calling on the Almighty and calling on the provider of all things to give him thanks for what he has done for us. Well, most of our proclamations by presidents of Thanksgiving since then haven't really even talked about God. And certainly if you look at our observation of Thanksgiving, our whole idea in this culture of Thanksgiving is a little bit, well, not biblical, I guess, is what I want to say. So I'm going to talk about one of my favorite films. Has anybody here ever seen, I like, Civil, I like the Civil War, and one of my favorite films about the Civil War is a 1965 film called Shenandoah. Is anybody familiar with Shenandoah? It's, it's a Jimmy Stewart movie, so that, you know, that's like, it's a Civil War Jimmy Stewart movie. Um, and in this movie, Jimmy Stewart plays the patriarch of a Virginia family, and as head of the family, every Sunday when they have their Sunday meal, he leads them in saying grace before the Sunday meal. Now, in one of the, of the episodes of this that are actually captured in the film, this is how his prayer of thanksgiving goes. I'm not going to do my Jimmy Stewart imitation, by the way. Lord, we cleared this land 
We plowed it, sowed it, and harvested it. We cooked the harvest. It wouldn't be here, and we wouldn't be eating it, if we had not done it all ourselves. We worked dog bone hard for every crumb and morsel. But we thank you, Lord, just the same for the food we're about to eat. Amen. Now that attitude is pretty common about how people view things. In our culture, that's how people view things. True thanksgiving, by the way, can't be forced, coerced, or commanded. You can't like make a declaration to be thanks to be thankful. But that what we that's what we do as a country. And 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 just to prove that, many of you remember something. I, I know I'm not this this strange that, that I'm the only kid who went through this, but as 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 children, many of us probably were taught to thank those who gave us something. It's just a matter of good manners. You thank somebody who gives you something. When we receive something, we're prompted by our, by our mom. You get something and your mom says, so what do you say? There's no genuine feeling behind that social tradition. No real attitude or expression. The thanks were phony, perfunctory, emotion for the sake of societal conformity. That's how I grew up. Thinking about things. And you might be like me and remembering the very first time. I'm, 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 I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one like this either. But I remember the very first time that an unexpected gift or gesture actually touched my heart so much that when I said thank you, I actually meant it. It wasn't forced politeness. It was an honest expression of real appreciation. And to some extent, at that moment, all of the sham of forced thanks kind of seemed ridiculous. It's like, oh, what was, you know, this is what thanks is really, you know, what was I saying thanks before? It didn't really matter. All the thank yous of ritual, good manners, seemed like a glass of juice that had a melted ice cube in it. And it was all watered down. In our country, we have an externally imposed holiday, a declaration of thanksgiving. Now, I don't need to tell you that in our society, the thanksgiving holiday does kind of seem watered down. If you ask people, especially you know, people who are not Christian, especially, what thanksgiving is about, they'll say, oh, thanksgiving means getting together with family. It means food. It means partying and sports and parades and even some Christians I know, shopping. Modern practices of Thanksgiving move more and more toward emphasizing those things. You hear people talk about their Thanksgiving holiday. How far did you travel? How, was the, how big was your turkey? How many people came to your meal? What kind of shopping did you do the next day? Or did you see that game? The act of offering genuine thanks 
It's not incompatible with feasting or family or fellowship. But if people are compelled to set aside a day to offer thanks, and it's against their will, it's kind of like, okay, you, know, you got the day off, you may as well do whatever you want to with it. It's kind of like their mom's telling you, now, what do you say? If they are told to offer thanks to a God they do not believe in, or to whom they do not really feel genuine gratitude, it's not surprising that feasting and family and fellowship and games and parades and balloons and sales and Santa Clauses overshadow the gratitude component. And they water down the sweet nectar of genuine thanks. So I want us to get back that sweet nectar. Myself included. Even among Christians, we need to be reminded what it means to truly give thanks. And Pastor Nathaniel gave us a reminder of that last week in the Sunday school. But I sort of wanted a reminder for myself, and I thought I'd share it with you. So what is Thanksgiving from a biblical perspective? Again, true Thanksgiving is not imposed from outward. It is an, it is an expression that something has touched the heart. That, that something has changed the heart so that flowing from within can be an expression. An outward expression, but not an outward imposition. An outward expression of that inward appreciation. The heart that appreciates the Lord is the source of thanksgiving. And that heart itself, by the way, has to be a gift from God. Having a heart that would express thanks to the Lord itself is a gift from the Lord. Because we're not made that way ourselves. We're not born that way. We're born in sin. So being in a Reformed church, I think I can say that, right? So we're born in sin. So the Lord has to change our hearts to make us willing to give Him thanks. And so that heart is a gift. In the Old Testament, there are a few words that are used for thanks. Depending on the context, and it's interesting in Hebrew that, that the same word can mean different things depending on the context in which it's used. Yada is Hebrew for thanks. It also means to praise or confess, depending on what the context is. Generally, our translations, if you have a, a New King James or an ESV or uh, uh, most of the modern translations, when the, the word yada follows some event that God has has um, caused to happen, or some attribute of God that's being tra uh, described, then Yada is translated as thanks or thanksgiving. Toda, which is based on Yada, is uh, thanksgiving, most commonly, almost always translated thanksgiving in Hebrew. Now, in the psalm that Delai read, Psalm 100, they all read together, uh, the word for thanksgiving in the first part of verse 4 is the word that's always translated for thanksgiving, but then the word that, the word yata, which is, um, uh, could mean praise or, or confession in addition to thanks, is in the second part of that verse. So let's go through it again. Go ahead, and if you want to reopen Psalm 100, feel, feel free, but I'll just read it. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. My translation's ESV. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we 
are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. That, that word is Torah. And his courts with praise. Give thanks. That's yada. To him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever in his faithfulness to all generations. Now notice there's a pattern here in this psalm. It's an invitation to thanksgiving. It's an invitation first to make a joyful noise. Now, notice the wording is, it's, it's make a joyful noise all the earth. But I want to point out something. It seems like, oh, is this really talking about everybody? It's an invitation to make a joyful noise to the Lord. So in reality, right, right away, it's not just make a noise to anything. Just make, a, make any kind of noise. No, it's make a noise to the Lord. The only ones who are going to respond to this invitation are those who believe in the Lord. You're not going to make, you're not going to make this invitation to everybody and expect them to, to just praise anything. It's praise to the Lord. It's a joyful noise to the Lord. Not in general, but to the Lord. So that's one thing you'll notice here. It's an invitation to believers to make a joyful noise to the Lord that they believe in. The next part is, in verse 2, serve the Lord. Again, it's directed to those who want to serve or are willing to serve the Lord. That's the one they're going to serve. They must believe in the Lord in order to serve Him. And, and the encouragement, the other invitation here is not just to, to, to go ahead and serve Him, but serve Him with gladness. Have the joy, the joy you get from serving Him. Enjoy that service to Him. The third thing we notice here is that in verse 2, the second part, we have another kind of aspect of this invitation. The invitation is to come into His presence. It's not just to come to a gen, like a general feast. Like, uh, let's just have a dinner, you know, everyone eat dinner together. No, it's to come into His presence. To come into the presence of the Lord God with singing. It's something specific for those who believe in God and want to come into His presence. Most of the world, if they're not saved, the last thing they want to do is come into His presence. Not only because... They don't care about him, but if they did care about him, coming into his presence as a sinner is probably pretty scary. It should be. So even in this simple psalm we see in verse 1 and 2 a, a, a distinction between believers and unbelievers and in, in what they're expected to do, how they're expected to respond to this invitation. But then we get in verse 3, an invitation. Know that the Lord, He is God. The invitation is to know and remember who God is. Only real believers can tolerate contemplating who God is. Among other things, contemplating His sovereignty. A, a real believer can, can look at God's sovereignty and see God's control over everything, the fact that God made everything, and that he's in control, and that he elects believers and unbelievers, and he elects 
people to what they do and that he is in control. That's a comfort to believers. But to unbelievers, they don't want to hear that. They don't want to, they don't want to know that. Now we can declare it to them, but they're not going to appreciate it. And they're not going to want to give thanks for it when, unless the Lord changes their heart to make them understand it. So acknowledging who he is, his creation, his choosing of his people, his ownership of his people. That's what it says, right? Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. He's bought us with a price. I'm kind of getting the New Testament there, but you get the idea. The invitation next focuses on those who identify with that, who understand that and say, okay, yeah, I get that. We are his people and we are the sheep of his pasture. I want to identify with that. I want to identify with that. People who are unbelievers can't do that. Only people who have true faith in God can embrace that identity and that relationship. Those who acknowledge that can then do what it says in verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Once we understand our relationship and we embrace it and we can identify, yes, I want to be one of God's people. Because he's made me his person. He's made me his. I belong. I'm one of his sheep. Not because of what I did, but because of what he did. Those who acknowledge and embrace it then are invited to, to celebrate in thanksgiving. It's now, the first part of verse 4 is that. Come on in and celebrate with thanksgiving. Come into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And then there's a reiteration. There's a, there's a repetition here. Uh, the second part there of verse 4 is repetitious. Of, it's just restating the, the first two concepts uh, again. Give thanks to him and bless his name. So coming in and entering into thanksgiving, it's implied that not only are we going to um, come in to his gates with thanksgiving. We're going to be in his courts with praise. And it's implied that we're going to praise him for everything that was mentioned before. Who he is. The fact that we're his sheep. That he has chosen us to be his people. We're going to bless his name. That, that's a reiteration of the, uh, of the praise. And we see here the link that thanksgiving is declaring, praising, and blessing the one who we believe has done something great, who is great. He's the Lord, he's God, he's great. But also he's done something great by saving us and calling us to himself and calling us his people and making us his sheep. It's a praise for that and it's thanks for that. Now unbelievers can't do any of that because unbelievers aren't part of his flock. They don't want to be part of his flock. The last verse, though, reiterates that this is not temporarily just for some of us. Thanksgiving looks ahead in faith and says in faith, 
The Lord is good. He loves forever. He is faithful. What he has done, he's going to continue doing for us. And, and that's also deserving our reaction of thanksgiving. So, in the Old Testament, thankfulness or giving of thanks is praise or confession based on the gift, mercy, and provision of the grace of God. And that we see in Psalm 100, but we also see it everywhere else where we're told to, to thank the Lord, be thankful. That, that, that message kind of uh, resounds everywhere. The concept of thanksgiving being praised to God for grace he has already shown is continued in the New Testament. The Greek word that means to praise or confess is also sometimes in certain instances when, it, when it's a response to God's grace is translated in our translations. Thankful or I thank you or something like that. So it's also translated as thanks. The other thing I found interesting is there is a word for grace in Greek, which some of us know if you study any Greek, just Greek, you know, any kind of Greek lexicon or anything, Greek vocabulary. The Greek word for grace is charis. Now, that word, when it appears in parts of the New Testament, and it's a reaction to something that, like somebody speaking chorus to God, it's translated in most of our translations as thanks. So in other words, the grace that God gives us, which is chorus, is if we kind of reflect it back to him, it's translated as thanks. This at least implies that thanks is a reaction and a reflection of the grace that God has bestowed and the gifts that he imparts. The grace of God produces a mirror expression of grace, of praise and thanks by believers. So when we say th thanks to God, we are indeed saying grace. I always wonder where that expression came from. It comes from because that's what it says it means in Greek. Say grace is to give thanks. Thanksgiving is reflecting and declaring the grace we recognize that God has shown to us. Now, again, that's something that, that believers in Christ can understand and comprehend and respond to. And again, the heart that appreciates that the Lord is the source of thanksgiving, that the heart itself is given to us as a gift by the Lord, the, the heart that can understand who he is and, and repeat and, and reflect his grace back to him in giving him thanks. Understanding that is something that only believers can do. And the grace that produces our reaction of thanksgiving has to come from God. Now that is, is stated a few places in Scripture. So if you look on your, on your outline on the second part there, I have some of the verses. You, if you want to turn there, you can. I think, uh, I think my outline may have been slightly changed. Oh, thank you. Uh, I want to make sure, because there's one or two typos in here, which I just caught. Um, for example, Ephesians 5, verses 17 through 21 appears twice. It shouldn't do that, but. Uh, 
Those who do not love God cannot give thanks. That's actually something that Paul says in Romans chapter 1. So I'm going to start with Romans chapter 1, beginning with verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now, Pastor Dan was talking about suppressing the truth this morning, right? For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So Paul is saying general revelation that, that everybody, the people who make, you know, uh, balloons for the Macy's Day Parade and the people who are sitting in their houses and not even you know, caring at all about God. Because of creation, they have no excuse. Because he has shown his power to them. And then it goes on in verse 21. Although they knew God, that is, they should understand who God is from his creation and general revelation, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men, and birds, and animals, and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. So Paul is saying there, one of the outcomes of rejecting who God is and having a darkened mind is the inability to give God thanks, which he deserves for, for, for bringing us into the world and creating us. Unbelievers cannot give God thanks. So we shouldn't expect them to. We shouldn't, we shouldn't, we shouldn't like be somehow surprised when the world completely rejects the, the idea of actually really giving thanks to God. Romans 1 tells us that they're not going to be able to. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning with verse 1, says this. Understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, one of the things that he says there in 2 Timothy 3, 2 is that they're ungrateful. That doesn't just mean they're ungrateful to God, but certainly includes being ungrateful to God. Now, why is that? It's because they are not lovers of God. They are, their minds are darkened. They're lovers of self, lovers of money, all these other things that, that probably, I don't know, if you look around the world, you kind of see this. <laughs> People are lovers of money. They're lovers of themselves. They're arrogant. They're abusive. And one of the results of that, of being in that situation, is being ungrateful. 
So unbelievers, people whose hearts have not been changed and, and, and conformed to the image of Christ and, and started being, you know, gone from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, those people are going to be ungrateful. They're not going to be able to thank God. Now also, and that kind of parallels what we saw there in, in, in basically the call of, of Psalm 100. Verse 1. Another thing is that in the New Testament we see that thanksgiving prepares us to serve the Lord. We're called upon in, in Psalm 1 to serve the Lord, serve the Lord with gladness. That gladness and that preparation for that, among other things, happens when we are thankful. When we're thankful to each other, we're thankful in the presence of each other. Uh, one example of that, and there's several versions of this where, where the same kind of thing is repeated in, in Colossians and uh, in Ephesians, but this one, Colossians beginning with chapter 3, verse 15. Uh, Paul says this, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. So just in case you think the and be thankful part is kind of thrown in there. No, he's reiterating what I want you to do with each other is let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. First he says be thankful, and then he says let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I think those two are tied, but then Paul you know, cinches the tie by saying, teaching, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That's the importance of thankfulness together. When we're a body of Christ and we're thankful together, when we're praying together and we're being thankful in the midst of each other, we're encouraging each other. And I appreciate the, the, the hymns that, that Joe uh, Picked out, yeah, picked out this morning for this evening because those are all, you know, where we're we're not punishing each other to be thankful, among other things, right? And then he goes on, by the way, he says, "Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him." So actually, if you want kind of like a three, uh, a, a triple punch of thankfulness. <laughs> Uh, and what it does to the body of Christ in helping us to serve one another, encourage one another, minister to one another. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 through 17. It's got three thankfulness in it. Being thankful aids our letting the word of Christ dwell in us and encourages us to help each other. And we give thanks to God the Father together. A little bit later in Colossians chapter 4, beginning with verse 2, Paul reiterates how important it is to be thankful. He says in verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now he's already told him in chapter 3, a verse, you know, chapter before, three times to be thankful, but now he's saying it again. At the same time, now he's, he's bringing it himself. He says, okay, now you can, if you're thank, thankful and you're praying, and you're watchful in your prayer with thanksgiving, then he says at the same time, pray for us also that God may open to, to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, 
that I may make it clear for which is how I ought to speak. So, so he's now saying, you know, as you're being thankful, um, remember to ask for me so that, so that you're, you know, that, that, that I can minister better. So in, in other words, I think he's tying together the idea, because this was the last thought of, of his think, thinking there. If you're thankful and you're praying, you know, while you're there, you know, think about me too. And, and your thankfulness is probably going to, for what he's done for you, is probably going to help you remember to pray for me so that I can encourage others, you know, uh, to do the same thing as you're doing. Ephesians 5, beginning with verse 1, also has the same idea, that, 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 that our ability to minister in the name of Christ is, is, is enhanced by our thanks, thanks, thanksgiving and our thankfulness. Ephesians 5, beginning of verse 1 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even, must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Now notice what he's saying there. He's saying thanksgiving crowds out sin. I mean, I don't think that's a big shock. If I'm being thankful to God, can I at that moment sin? Can I have sinful thoughts at that moment that I'm thanking God for all he's done for me in Christ? He's saying, no foolish, no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are our place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. You can't be thankful and, you know, giving crude talk or even having impure thoughts. And he goes on, right after he says, let there be thanksgiving, he says, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous, that is, an idolater has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Thanksgiving shoves out from our thoughts, shoves sin out of our thoughts, and thanksgiving helps us to fight sin. It's an important tool that we have as Christians. Here's another place, Ephesians chapter 5, verse, beginning with verse 17. He says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the, Lord, what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now again, if we are trying to discern the will of the Lord and, and basically being, trying to be filled with the Spirit or address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, this is the same thing as we talked about in, Colos in, in Colossians chapter 3. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. It's hard to have sinful, debauched, and messed up thoughts if you're giving thanks Always and for everything to God. 
if I'm thanking the Lord for the fact that I, I'm here and, and for everything that's going on, every circumstance that I have, every circumstance we have as a church, if we're thanking God in those situations and for everything, it's hard for us to get off track. Lack of thankfulness can cause us to have all kinds of problems, but the encouragement to be thankful, Paul is tying in here, to us being able to help one another, minister to one another, to be filled with the Spirit. Now, thankfulness also um, builds and encourages, helps us to build and encourage one another. And the example that, that Paul, one example that Paul gives here, if you want to kind of use the other ones, that's fine, because some of these overlap. But, but I thought it was interesting that, that Paul said here, about thankfulness, the importance of thankfulness when someone comes in and visits our church. Now, he's talking about speaking in tongues. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 14. But the principle transcends the idea of tongues. So, you know, we're not going to get into tongues, but the idea is that thankfulness has an impression when we're together, not only on us, but in people who visit. Therefore, this is beginning with verse 13. 1 Corinthians 14, beginning with verse 13. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind also. Therefore, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving if he doesn't understand what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than ten words in a tongue. So what he's saying there is he's saying, when you thank the Lord, when you give thanks, he says, you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person's not being built up if they don't understand what you're doing. They don't understand the words you're saying. So he's implying there that when somebody is out with you in the, in the body, either a visitor or somebody who's in the church, if you're giving thanks, they're built up by that. I've, just the very action of us Corporately, giving thanks builds each other up. Also, the next, the, the next little thing I see, pattern I see here in the New Testament, thanksgiving is a reflection on who God is and what he's done. Just like in the, in the, in the Psalm 100, right? Oh, we're going to reflect. We're going to reflect back to God who he is. You know, we're going to thank him for, for we're his people, and we're, we're talking about all the things that he did for us. He, he, he's God, he made us, he chose us, and all that. Well, that's the same thing when we thank God in the New Testament, right? There's no difference. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 says, Therefore, as you receive Christ as Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. So therefore, he's saying, you know, 
be built up in Christ, this Christ who is the fullness of deity. And as you reflect on what you were taught, abound in thanksgiving. As you reflect on what you were taught about Christ, abound in thanksgiving. That brings glory to God, but it also helps us to reflect on, reflect back to him, who he is, how glorious he is, right? Now, sometimes, I, I got to admit myself, I don't do this. I don't actually thank Jesus for who he is. But that would be appropriate, to praise him and thank him for who he is. I praise him for who he is sometimes, but, but, but thank you for all the things you've done for me. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for saving me. All those things, we, we could not do it too much. We should just be doing it every instant, right? Luke chapter 10, verse 20, is also another interesting passage. Now, this is one of the few places where in Scripture, Jesus gives thanks to his Father. He gives thanks to his Father one time when he's uh, raised uh, Lazarus. And he says, I thank you, Father, that you've done this, that you've listened to me. Uh, that's in uh, John chapter 11. He also, though, in Luke chapter 10, thanks the Father, and this is also, I think, uh, mirrored in, in Matthew. He thanks the Father for who he is and what he does, particularly for election. Luke chapter 10, verse 20. This is when the disciples come back and he says, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you. He's talking to his disciples. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's the important thing. And that's the same thing as we are his sheep, right? We are sheep. Our names are written in heaven. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And then in the same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. This idea that God is sovereign over who are his sheep, Jesus gives the Father thanks for that. One of the few cases in the New Testament that we see Jesus offering thanks to the Father. Thanksgiving reminds us of who we are in Christ. Um, here's one example. I won't read them both, but 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 5, 54 says, When the perishable puts on imperishable and the immortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank God for the fact that sin and death have been overcome by the power and the blood of Jesus. That's who we are in Christ. We are those who have been saved by the blood of Jesus from the sting of death. Sometimes we can't take that for granted, but that's, it's worth reading. 
and reminding ourselves and giving thanks the way Paul, Paul had no, no inhibitions about saying, thanks be to God for that. Thanksgiving is also a reflection of God's grace. And, and as such, it produces the effects of grace in us. And this is kind of amazing that, that the, the kind of like replacing or repeating thanks for the grace God's already given us kind of uh, is there's a feedback, if you will, that, that produces more grace in us, or at least the results of grace in us. One example of that, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse, beginning with verse 15. See that no one replace repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good. So there, Paul is saying, rejoice, rejoice. joy is a fruit of the spirit, right? Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will with you. It, it kind of produces this feedback of, of, okay, if we're giving thanks, then we're going to have more joy because we're getting more... Uh, we're supposed to be praying without ceasing. We're supposed to rejoice always. And we're supposed to be thanking in all circumstances. That goes with doing it all the time, right? So if we're doing that all the time, those things feedback on each other. Uh, another place where that is is in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say again, I would say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everybody. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So again, it's, it's a permanent situation. It's a forever situation. It's going on. It's ongoing all the time. The last thing I want to point out is that just like it says in Psalm 100, the last verse, that his mercy endures forever. Thankfulness will continue forever. And there's two passages I want to talk about there. One of them is Revelation chapter 7, beginning with verse 9. And of course, this is John who sees this, and he says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all the tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and all around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. If you and I get in the habit of giving thanks to the Lord now, we have all these results that we will bring about in, you know, among our brothers and sisters in the church. But you know what? We're just preparing for what we're going to do forever. We're going to be giving thanksgiving and praise to him forever. And we may as well get used to it now. And we may as well learn how to do it now. 
So, so if there's anything here that uh, kind of got you thinking about how you might want to improve your own, um, you know, prayer, Thanksgiving, um, good. If not, look up the verses and see if you can find something else there. Uh, let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for, um, for, for everything. Uh, we thank you for who you are and what you've done for us and who you are to us. We ask that you'd help us to reflect back the grace that you've given us, that we would reflect it back to you in praise and thanks for who you are and what you do. Help us not to forget to do that as your word encourages us to do it every day. Help us to do it every day. Help us to do it for everything. We ask these things for your glory. Ask your blessing on each one here that you'd help us and, and, and support us throughout the week ahead. Help us to go back to our home safely. And we ask all these things that you would be glorified and that your son Jesus would be exalted. And we ask that in his name. Amen.